A reading from John. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set a seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent, who he has sent. So they, so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Gospel of the Lord. We are uh, jumping into our gospel reading this morning. Uh, John chapter 6, verse uh, 24 to 35. Um, you can turn to it in your bulletins, or if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, as, we, uh, as we get going, let me just pray for us. Our Father, we, we come to you. Uh, we come to you because your son um, draws us to you. Um, we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us as we look into your word. We ask that we'd meet you. We ask that you'd change us. Uh, we entrust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning, we are looking at a passage from the Bible where Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. It's kind of a curious statement. It's one of seven I am statements uh, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus refers to himself using the name of God. Um, it's the name of God that was told to Moses way back in the book of Exodus. It's an explicit statement where Jesus is saying that he is God. And if you've been with us over the summer, as we've resumed gathering back here, um, here in the space, uh, you'll remember that, well, Maybe you remember three weeks ago, but um, I'll tell you anyway if you don't remember. Three weeks ago, uh, we looked at uh, how were people sent on a mission. Um, it's the same mission that Jesus is on. And, uh, and we're sent out on a mission to tell people the good news of who Jesus is and what he does, what he's done. And we're sent out on this mission right in the middle of chaos, uh, in the middle of uncertainty and instability. And then last week, uh, we looked at how Jesus is God who is present with us as we're sent out. He's present with us when we get confused, when we misunderstand who he is. He softens our hearts when following him 
turns out to look a little different than what we thought it was. And this week, we're still looking at Jesus. We're looking at him as he reveals one aspect of himself as God, um, one, one dimension of his godness. Um, it's as it's described by one of his disciples, uh, the disciple John. And, and, and in this revelation of who he is, we'll see that he is the one who sustains us. He's the one who sustains us as we embark on sharing God's love to the world, as we navigate the chaos of figuring out what it means to live life when there's a pandemic ongoing, as we seek to empty ourselves of uh, false uh, presuppositions of who God is and who we are, and and when we press into true community. Um, We want to be a community that exists as a witness to the world um, of what God God is doing, what he can do, what he will do. So, So what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? What I want us to see this morning is that this simply means that Jesus sustains us in whatever he is walking with us through, because that's what we were created for. Um, we're, we're created to be sustained by Jesus. Jesus is life to the world. And to see this, um, we're going to walk through three questions that the crowd actually asks Jesus in our passage. But, but before we look at those crowd's questions, um, I have one question that I want to ask you. Have you ever noticed um, how different of a person you can be when you're hungry? Uh, there, there's a number of years ago, um, there was uh, an ad campaign by Snickers, the, the candy bar. Um, uh, company, uh, they had this campaign called uh, You're Not You When You're Hungry. And, and so it was like in this campaign, there's like a situation, like a football game going on, and one of the players is just completely out of character and messing everything up. Um, there's one where the player um, on the football field was actually Betty White, who's like a 99 year old actress. Um, and so she's out there trying to play football, messing up all the plays. Um, and then finally someone like hands her this Snickers bar in the huddle and says, um, what's wrong with you? You're not yourself. Eat this. And so she grabs it, eats the Snickers bar, and poof, she turns into like the, the wide receiver. And they're like, you good now? He's like, yeah, I'm good. And then they go, get back to playing the game. Um, it, was, it was this enormously successful ad campaign that um, went all over the world. I think part of what made it so popular was because it taps into this universal experience that we all have, um, that we all share. It's, it's hunger. But while I think most of us can identify with acting in a way we would rather not because we're momentarily hungry, I think the issue of hunger goes much deeper than how you act when you've missed a meal. And here's what I mean. There are different levels of hunger, right? Um, there, there is, um, I'm feeling snackish hungry, uh, there is, I, I slept in, and in my rush to get to work, I skipped breakfast hungry. There's, uh, I am turning into Betty White hungry. And then, then there's, there, there is like, I am utterly famished hungry. Can, can you think of a time where you were in that sort of a space, that sort of place? Uh, I'm not talking about like intentional fasting. Um, that, that's kind of a different thing. Um, 
No, what, what I'm thinking about is, is like a time when you were stuck working late at work. Um, you know, you skipped lunch because you had a meeting, an emergency kept you lit, working late, and you realize the sun's gone down, it's been over 12 hours since you had breakfast, and your brain's not working right anymore. Um, and, and you may not even feel hungry anymore, um, but, but you know you need food, but, but, but you're just like a mess. Um, I think um, there, there's a lot of a set of experience this kind of hunger, especially if you've worked here in the city. Um, but, but I'm talking about a level of hunger that goes even deeper. Um, some of us here this morning have experienced hunger that's lasted days. Maybe it's not having enough food to eat and, and stretching out the little that you have over days or weeks, or even, even just going um, multiple days without food. I've been in some spaces in my life in the past where um, I haven't had a great relationship with food. Um, I'm one of those people who, when I get stressed, I lose weight. I know for some people, the opposite happens. Um, you know, they gain weight, but, but that's, that's just not me. And so, so while I'm in a fairly healthy place right now, you know, I'm about six foot three. Um, my weight is about average for my height. Um, though my wife does point out to me that I'm starting to develop the classic uh, Caribbean belly that comes with being in your 40s. Um, I'm still, still, still on the average. Um, but, but when I'm stressed, like, I just shed the pounds. Um, at one point a few years ago, I was down to about 130 pounds. Um, and, and really, I was, I was a mess, um, not just physically, um, but mentally and emotionally, um, spiritually, like everything. I was just, I was in a stressful place in my life, and my reaction was just to, to, to lock down and to eat very little. Um, in fact, sometimes I had to make myself eat because I was in such a dark place. And, and here's the thing about the, the, the space that I was in. Um, at some point, I passed the place of extreme hunger. Um, now, I was, I was still hungry at times, um, even famished sometimes, but, but it actually wasn't about the food. Um, life at the time felt like it was spiraling out of control. And my reaction was to turn in on myself. Right? And, and starvation is, is when your body's actually like consuming itself to stay alive because it's not getting what it needs to keep living. Um, in in my, my angst and in my despair, um, I, was, I was consuming myself. Now, now, now some people um, turn in on themselves. They consume themselves. Other people turn outwards. When, when life seems out of control, some people turn their appetites outwards. Um, sometimes it's literally with food, um, you know, but it's in excess. It's overeating or excessive indulgence. Well, we consume and we consume and we consume. And, and, and that too goes beyond food. There lies within all of us um, this mysterious hunger that if it's not satisfied, turns us into merely consumers. I'm not really talking just simply about like economics, though I'm sure there's a correlation with, with kind of the consumerist culture that we're in. But, but when this hunger is not satisfied, um, the result is that our appetites turn elsewhere and it's almost always destructive. So, so you may turn in on yourself in a destructive manner, like, like I tend to, um, or you turn outwards. And that destructive consumption um, gets directed to the world around us. 
even to people around us. I think it's why we're content when we're benefiting off the injustice of others. It's why slavery and segregation lasted as long as it did and, and racism is still a big issue. It's why we act selfishly when we know we shouldn't. It's why we impulse buy on Amazon when we're bored and even when we know there's a good chance the stuff we ordered was made in a sweatshop somewhere. We, we consume things that cannot and were not ever meant to satisfy us. And I think an example uh, just this past week has been at the Olympics in Tokyo. Um, Simone Biles, um, she's an American gymnast, um, probably one of the most amazing athletes in the world ever. Um, she, she shocked everybody by dropping out of the competition she was in um, because as she described it, uh, she was not in a good place mentally. And when you're trying to do the gymnastic routines that, that she does, and you're not 100%, like you can seriously injure yourself or even be killed. Um, now, now, now I mention her because the reaction of many people to her decision, I think revealed how much uh, our society treats others as things to be consumed. Some were infuriated that she wasn't being tough enough. Some feel she betrayed her country. But when it came down to it, um, people were upset because uh, they were miss missing out on, on being entertained themselves, or they missed out on, on sharing this kind of transcendent, uh, patriotic kind of experience of sorts. Uh, and the result was, was demeaning a woman made in the image of God. So, so um, I, I've moved us beyond just, just the food that we eat, um, because when we push far enough, um, we often find that while we need to eat food, and, and it's a good part of how God made us, um, food is a good thing. Um, but when we push beyond that, we, we find that there's a hunger inside us that goes beyond mere food. And it's, it's why when um, we get to the level of um, like disorders, even, um, you know, there's things like compulsive eating or extreme dieting or, or anorexia and things like that. Um, it often has roots that go far beyond just the physical act of eating. And, and, and I want to be clear, um, I know there's people um, probably here who, who wrestle with legitimate eating disorders. Um, and I don't want to spiritualize away the reality of what you're dealing with. So, so please don't hear me saying that. Um, we, we need physical health care. We need mental health care. And, and just because you're wrestling with something like this does not mean that God does not love you. It doesn't mean that Jesus has turned his back on you. Remember that you're being punished or abandoned. But, but, but it's in this disordered mess that we find ourselves in that, that Jesus wants to come in and heal the deepest parts of who we are. He wants to meet the deepest needs and the deepest desires that we have. He wants to satisfy what we crave for, what we hunger for, even when we don't even know what we hunger for. And so, so even if you don't know what you hunger for, um, you actually have a lot in common with the crowd that is following Jesus in our passage. So we're going to turn to that and look at what Jesus is drawing out of the crowd. So there's, there's three questions that guide us through our reading. Um, each one is posed by the crowd that has followed Jesus. First question is, Rabbi, when did you come here? The second question is, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And the third question, it's kind of a double question, says, 
what sign do you do or what work do you perform, Jesus? So, so let, let's take a look at this as, as we kind of unpack um, what's going on here. Rabbi, why did you come here? Um, why is the crowd asking this to Jesus? Well, we're, we're picking up um, the narrative, the story, shortly after Jesus has just fed um, 5,000 men, um, so probably a lot more than 5,000 people um, with women and children. He's fed them all with five loaves and two fish, right? And the, the last couple of weeks, we were in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark, um, when he's, he's going through this, he follows the disciples and their interaction with Jesus um, after that, that, that feeding event. But John here gives us a different scene. The action follows the crowds um, and their interaction with Jesus rather than following along with the disciples. And after the miraculous feeding, um, the disciples take a boat across the Sea of Galilee. In the middle of the night, Jesus walks on water, met up with them, freaked them out. Um, then they, 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 they figure out it's Jesus and then they come to the other side. But the crowd, uh, the people, don't know any of this has happened. Um, and they're actually trying to figure out where Jesus is. So the next day, um, there's this, this crowd of people who've tracked him down to the other side of the sea. They finally figured out where he is. The crowd is, is, is a mix of people. Um, some who were part of the crowd that was fed. Um, but, but part of the crowd is, is probably the new people that have been picked up along the way on the other side of the shore. And, and they've heard what Jesus has done. Um, and they want to see this for themselves. So they're like, okay, something big is happening. And so, so they ask this question, and, and Jesus doesn't actually answer their question. Um, he gets right down to business. He replies in verse 26. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus is saying, um, you're only here because you filled your bellies, right, with the bread that I gave. Um, you missed the whole point of why I did that. Um, it was a sign. Um, it was pointing to something so much more than, than just eating. Now, now, an expectation um, that was kind of just of the time was that, that God's um, promised Messiah, um, the, the, the one who would deliver Israel from Roman oppression and restore the kingdom, what would be someone who does things like what Moses did in the Old Testament. And so, so in, in Deuteronomy um, 8.15, we find Moses saying these words. Um, he's saying, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, right? Like, so there, there's all these expectations that have been heaped on. There's supposed to be so there's some, some person like Moses supposed to come in and start setting things right. So the people are expecting this, this Moses-like figure that God will send to lead them. And they're looking for signs that, that Jesus is this person. But, but, but Jesus is, is more than just Moses, right? And he knows what's in their hearts. And, and rather than answering their question, he turns straight to getting at why they're chasing him all over the countryside. The crowd is all about this miraculous feeding that occurred. But they're fixated on what happened and what, not what it meant. The crowd wants Jesus because they want more. Um, they want more bread. Uh, maybe they're hungry again. 
Um, but, but they have something deeper driving them. Jesus reveals this when he tells them not to work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And so, so the crowd responds with, with an odd question, the second question. Um, well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Okay, so, so food that brings eternal life sounds good, Jesus. Um, but what's the catch? Right? How hard do we have to work for it? Right? Jesus is always working, Jesus is already working with the crowd's assumptions. Um, he's drawing their attention back to the source story that's driven the people to follow him. Um, and it goes back to when God had led his people out of slavery in Egypt. Um, when they crossed the Red Sea and they're free, but, but they have no food. And so they grumble to Moses and, and think they're better off back in Egypt because at least they had food there. That, that's um, what our psalm that we read um, was recounting, was that experience. And, and God, God provides for them. At the end of the psalm, they're like, God, God gives them manna. Um, manna appears on the ground each morning. Um, they gather enough for each day. Um, but if they keep more than enough for the day, what is left over spoils in the night. And, and, and so the people, they're, they're kind of tracking with Jesus. Um, they have in their minds the provision of manna in the wilderness. But, but Jesus seems to be pushing them to something more. Food that doesn't perish. That sounds even better than what happened to Moses. So, so they're asking, um, what do I need to do to get in on this? This sounds fantastic. Uh, and Jesus responds by simply saying, Believe in the one whom God has sent, in verse 29. It's a remarkably simple statement. The work of God is to believe in Jesus. Though this isn't just like a mental activity. Um, it means to entrust yourself to him, to rely on him, to rest in him. And it runs counter to our impulses whereby we feel the need to earn this, right? Like, 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 like we need to do more, like, like, like this is worth it. Um, but, but, but there's something about Jesus where only he can satisfy our deepest hunger. But the crowd still isn't quite there with them on this yet. So they ask a third question, which is kind of two questions in one in verse 30. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread to eat, from heaven to eat. Right, right. They have the story in their minds. Um, but there's confusion about who Jesus is here. The crowd is still missing what the sign is pointing to. They're thinking about Moses, um, and Jesus points this out to them. No, 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 you, you've got it all wrong. You've actually got it wrong in two ways. Number one, it wasn't Moses that gave people manna in the wilderness. It was God. That's in verse 32. But number two, um, you've got it wrong about me. You've got it wrong about Jesus. Your expectations are a little too low. You're focusing on the wrong guy in the story. Um, I'm not just another guy like Moses. God's the one who gives the manna. He's the one who feeds his people. I'm like him. But notice that Jesus doesn't outright say that he's God here. Um, he's saying that he is the bread. My father gives you the true bread from heaven, in verse 32. Um, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The crowd responds saying, um, 
well, give me this bread always. Like, like I want this bread. Forget about that other bread that, that you gave. Give me this real bread. Um, and here's where Jesus pulls it all together. Um, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus uses the words, I am, which is the name for God given to Moses in Exodus. Here he reveals that he's actually God come to us. And he's God come to us to fill that deep hunger that drives us. He's the bread that gives life to the world. We're all created as dependent beings. And some of us, we can go roll with that idea. Some of us just don't like that idea at all. Like, you know, no, I'm independent. But, but, but we're created as dependent beings. Um, we depend on the creation that we're in, actually, for our food. Um, we're dependent on others for, for friendship and support and so many other things. Um, but underneath all of that, we're, we're dependent on God. We're dependent on Jesus to fill this deep hunger, this deep desire to be whole, to be satisfied, to be content being what we are. Um, Jesus sustains us. But if we reject Jesus, um, that hunger does not go away. Um, it gets turned in on other things. It becomes destructive. Um, it, 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 it's a, this, this, this hunger that, that, that is, is, is like bottomless. Um, and so, so food can be, become a vice. Friendships become toxic. Um, but, but Jesus, giving life to the world, um, he's pointing us toward the cross that Jesus died on. What sign does Jesus do? Well, he's already done one sign. He's multiplied the bread and fish to feed people, demonstrating that he's greater than Moses. In fact, he's God who provides and sustains. Um, what work does Jesus do? Well, ultimately, Jesus goes to the cross, where his body is broken and his blood is shed, and dying on the cross, he takes on the effect of that destructive, consuming drive in us, which is death. He takes on the effect of that and enables us to turn to God and to be fed. Right? And that, that, that's where, where it's, it's turned over to us. Um, we're called to come to Jesus, to believe and, and to feed on him in our hearts by faith. Um, th this is a way of life. Um, this is what we're to do when we wake up in the morning. We turn to Christ. This is what we do when, when we eat together. Um, we thank him for sustaining us. Will you let Jesus into that deep part of your life that's consuming you or consuming others? Um, that's, that's consuming the world that, that we're in, right? Jesus is the only one that will fill you and anchor you in life so that you'll be free to say no to the things that are really destructive. In a few moments, um, we are going to celebrate uh, Holy Communion, um, or the Eucharist as it's known. Um, Eucharist, it, it means thanksgiving, right? Um, it, it's a posture of thankfulness as we come to Jesus to be sustained by him. And, and uh, and when we come together and we celebrate the Eucharist, um, what we're doing is we're being pointed to this great reality that Jesus feeds us. 
it's not just only when we, we come to the table, but we're given this, we're given these, these physical means to, 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 to point us to Jesus and, 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 and he sustains us. Um, and it's something that, that when we gather together, we meet, we're here together, Jesus is with us, Jesus is feeding us, but it's to spill out into the rest of our lives. Um, it opens our eyes up to the ways in which Jesus sustains us as we go out into the world. So, so Jesus is life to the world. We only experience Jesus as we come to him. So, so as, we, um, as we think about our week that lies ahead, um, as we're, we're going to come together and come to Jesus and celebrate Holy Communion, um, but let's be thinking about what does God want to displace in our lives that we have that's consuming us or consuming others? Um, what, what, what are the ways that we can just invite Jesus into those deep places in us and bring healing so that he, he's sustaining us? He wants to sustain us. That's, why, why, why that, that, that's, that's just how we're, we're created. And then as he sustains us, that drives us out into the world. Um, he sustains us as we go out. So that in mind, um, we will turn to prayer. And then we will go to Holy Communion. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.